Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, founders, and thank you for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Gabriel, CEO and co-founder of OpenLayer, a debugging workspace for machine learning that's raised $4.8 million in funding. Gabriel, thanks for having me today. Thank you so much for having me, actually. Not a problem. So to kick things off, can we just start with a quick summary of who you are and maybe a bit more about your background? Absolutely. I'm Gabriel. I'm a Brazilian engineer. I live in the US now. And yeah, I'm the CEO co-founder of OpenLayer, where we work with making AI safe and sustainable. So very excited about that. When did you move from Brazil to the US? Yeah, so I studied here. I did my undergrad partially in Brazil and partially in the US. So I studied both in University of Brasilia and also at Cornell. And then I decided that the US had way more opportunities if you want to follow you know, the computer science career path. So in 2017, I moved here for good. I started my grad school at uh, Carnegie Mellon. At some point in grad school, I was like, hey, I really want to go to industry. So I, I got my master's from CMU and went to work at Apple, working with machine learning and AI. More specifically, I was working on the Apple Vision Pro. For a long time, I couldn't even talk about it because it was you know, a secret project and couldn't talk much. But we were basically working in AI for the Apple Vision Pro. I noticed there was a gap in the industry because, you know, building models was not the hard part. The hard part was everything around it. How do you test to make sure it's good and safe? How do you monitor it in production to make sure the performance is as good as you expect? And also, uh, you know, the different evaluation metrics and scenarios and uh, tracking experiments. Doing all of that was way harder than actually building the models. So I talked with a few of my uh, friends at Apple and like, hey, would you like to quit to start, you know, something to fix this problem once and for all? And they said yes, and we, you know, left to start OpenLayer. Amazing. When it comes to inspiration for you, who is the most inspiring founder that uh, that's out there for you? Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, I think it would be Enrique Dubudis. I think you actually interviewed him at some point here. <laughs> and he is a Brazilian founder as well. Uh, went through Y Combinator and he's just like a very courageous person because he was an entrepreneur before back in Brazil. Then he was like, hey, I want to go to you know, the big leagues. I want to go to the US to start a company as well. So he dropped out of Stanford to do it. And he started Brex. He's the founder of Brex. He started at the same time that I was in grad school. And it was a big inspiration for me because it was like someone that came from the same country as I did doing something so cool, going through Y Combinator. So I was like, hey, okay, I'm going through industry, but I want to always keep my eye on going through IC. So actually, when we left Apple, went directly through Y Combinator, which was, you know, a dream come true and a big part for from his inspiration. Is he like a god in Brazil? He's very well known, I would say. I would say he's like probably the, the, the most well-known founder. Uh, I'd say people really admire him because he started actually a big company in Brazil, left to start even bigger in the US. So uh, most founders really admire him. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And I think there's a lot to admire there. That was a, a definitely a fun interview. And, and yeah, he's a fascinating entrepreneur and, and everything he's built is 
is fascinating. And he's also, I think, quite young too, right? I think he's under 30, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, I think he's like 27, 28. So very young guy, but very successful. So super cool. Yeah, that's amazing. What about books? What book would you say has had the greatest impact on you, not just as a founder, but as a, as a person? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question because I would say like two very different answers. So in terms of personal, there's a great author like in Brazil called Machado de Assis. I know I'm doing this thing all about Brazil, but I promise it's not the case. <laughs> but he, he had this book called uh, The Posthumous Memories of Brás Cubas, where it's like, the memories of someone that already died reflecting on their own life. And it's just a fascinating book going through like every step of your own life and like like reflections about what he did right, what he did wrong and everything. And that's my favorite book by far. But in terms of, you know, my founder journey, I would say like, it's not even necessarily a book. It, it became a book in the end, but like, I don't know if you're familiar with Jason Lemkin's Strong Saster. Yes, he had this, you know, this compilation of posts that he made on Quora, and then he created kind of a book on top of it. And this has really, really changed my journey as a founder because it's such an interesting and in-depth understanding of how SaaS business work. And I would say like, this is my go-to book. I have it on the website. I also printed to have like in my hands because there is not like, you know, an, an actual print version. It's an online book, but I want to have it anytime that I'm like in doubt to look and go in depth. But I don't know. I think it's, I would really encourage anyone working in software as a service to take a look. I think it's best of Saster. I know this sounds weird because not really a book, but man, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. I follow a lot of his writing and just his content in general. And he's so good. And there's like, there's no better authority on SaaS than, uh, than Jason. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's switch gears now and let's dive a bit deeper into the company. So I know we touched on that there in the intro at the start of the conversation, but let's expand on that. So when it comes to the problem, what problem does OpenLayer solve? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the main problem that OpenLayer solves is related to like how hard it is to test machine learning models. Because if you're going to test software, like normal software, you know what the output's going to be and you have an expected input and then you just check if one is the other, right? With machine learning, you have this statistical nature of it. So things can vary. It's not guaranteed to work in a particular way. Not always the same input will give the same output. Doesn't mean that's necessarily wrong. So how do you, you know, create a system to test this both before you put something out there in production and also when something is already there, you know, in monitoring, how do you make sure that things are working correctly? And this becomes even a bigger problem when you're talking about, you know, AI and LLMs. You want to make sure you're not, you know, if you have a chat bot powered by AI, you want to make sure that's not, you know, hallucinating answers saying like, hey, the best way for you to get started is to join this website that doesn't exist and, you know, click on this link that doesn't exist. You know, this is very problematic. So our work is basically making AI, you know, safe and performant. Super interesting. Take us back to the early days. It looks like you founded the company in June, 2021. What was it about this problem that made you say, yep, that's it. I'm going to go and dedicate my life to, to building a company around this, or at least dedicate the next you know five to seven years of my life to, to building a company around this? Yeah, that's a great question. So I feel like it was honestly born from frustration because it was like our jobs back at Apple to, you know, do the error analysis of these models. Like we really would like see on the screen and keep like thinking, 
when does it do it the right thing? When does it do the wrong thing? What are the scenarios that it works well? Can you come up with a list of scenarios that we should always test? Can you create some kind of unit test out of it? It's like the job was super interesting, but it was also super frustrating because there was like no framework to do it. When you think about code, we have GitHub, we have GitLab, we have, you know, different CI CD pipelines. You have so much things that can help make your job easier. But when you talk with uh, an ML engineer or a data scientist, usually they're using like a Jupyter notebook. They're just, you know, writing out on this very bad, you know, infrastructure, trying to make something work. And out of this frustration, we decided to like, you know what, let's apply with exactly this idea to Y Combinator. Let's apply with the thing that's the most painful in our day-to-day job. And we got in, decided to quit. A relatively young team, all in our you know twenties, and we've been uh, you know having fun in the journey. Wow, that's super cool. What did you learn from your time in Y Combinator? Yeah, so YC has this very strong mantra, which is ship code and talk to users. And I think it's so easy to try to do other things in the early stages. Try you know to create the company culture, or try to create you know this particular very intricate marketing scheme or trying, you know, to hire this particular professionals when in the very beginning of the journey, when they're an early stage company, the only thing you need to do is to like, at least in technology, so is to ship code and talk to users. And I think like this insistence, like insisting on this advice for early stage companies of like, Jay, we don't need to worry about culture. We don't need to worry about this or that. Of course, these are important things for a company, but in the very early stages, just focus on like, Ship code, talk to users, iterate, and keep doing that forever. And eventually you get there. And I think like as a founder, I mean, we all, of course, have always, we made so many mistakes as first time founders, but whenever we are unsure about what to do next, we just think about, okay, we don't know exactly what the best next step is, but as long as we're shipping code and talking to users, we know we're going, you know, somewhat in the right direction. So I think this was the most useful uh, experience in YC. So it was basically three months of this advice, which really like getting to your mind. Let's talk a little bit about customers. So I, I see on the website, eBay is the logo that really stands out. So maybe we could talk about them or just you know, any of the, the paying customers that you have. What's that process been like to land those first paying customers? Because that's something that all founders, all startups, they really struggle with. Yeah. How do you get first people to give you money? So what was your journey like there? And, and what did you learn along the way? Yeah, so for our first set of customers, we really got them from investor intros. Actually, not even investors, when we were not even fundraising, people that in the end became investors, but already believed in us, made some intros. And that's why we, we got our first you know group of paying customers. So I don't have like a especially cool story there, but I think that like, you know, one thing that we learned that was interesting in this early part is like, as a software engineer, if you know went to a good school, you're a software engineer and everything, sometimes people are a little bit uh, scared to ask for help, you know, to ask for that new intro or to ask for what they really want. And I think uh, becoming a founder is a very humbling experience because we learned like, we can't do this alone. So we need to ask for help. So we asked, you know, people that were not even invested at the moment, be like, hey, can you intro us to that other person that we have no way to access? Can you get us there? And just by doing that, just by taking the courage of, you know, 
asking for favors, basically, in these intros, we were able to get our first group of customers, including eBay. Wow, that's fascinating. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. What about the competitive landscape? What does that look like today? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question because as you know, AI is changing a lot and changing very, very fast. So we have, I'm going to divide things into traditional ML, traditional AI, and the generative AI boom that's been happening, you know, lately. So I would say like in the competitive landscape of traditional ML, there is a few companies in the MLOps space. Some companies work on experiment tracking. Some companies work on monitoring specifically. Some other companies work on, you know, testing of you know, ML systems. And on the generative AI space, it's a very new one. And there's a new group of, you know, companies which they call themselves LLM ops, basically like operations related to LLMs, which try to do similar things to these ML ops companies, but more focused on generative AI. So they do things like prompt tracking, prompt testing, uh, monitoring your tokens and your, you know, latency of your requests to open AI or to, you know, cohere other providers. So I would say our company, we were born in a traditional ML, but we noticed the change for generative AI was happening very fast. So we decided to like also join this phenomenal boom. So we are like in both sides. We both have, you know, competitors, on the traditional side of AI and also on the generative AI, some companies doing the prompt level operations. What about when it comes to marketing? What are you seeing work right now? And, and what are you doing to rise above all of that noise that exists in this hyper competitive environment? That's a really good question. That's a very hard problem. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say, like, hey, we solved this problem for good because we have the best, you know, messaging that. Because a lot of the pitches for AI, like LMOps or MLOps companies do sound a little bit similar. Like, hey, I want to make this safe. I want to make this performant. I want to make sure that you're not going to hallucinate. So one thing that we've learned is to get more direct to the point of like what we exactly do. Instead of going to the abstract idea space of like, we make your AI safe, we try to market things more directly. For example, hey, get alerts when your LLM fails, like very direct to the point. And we noticed that it strikes more authentic with a lot of our audience instead of like, hey, we're going to solve your hallucination problems on the safety AI space. We actually trying to be like, hey, we can really help you do this thing here easier. So that's something we are always learning. But one of the, the things that we notice is like going directly to the point of what we actually do instead of going to the abstract world of things. Does it feel like you've reached product market fit or where do you stand on that journey? Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting question about product market fit. I actually have an interesting story. So as you know, Paul Graham was the founder of you know, Y Combinator. And he Y Combinator is one of the companies that really talk a lot about you know, product market fit and getting there and make sure that it works. So once we had 
office hours with Paul Graham. We were like, hey, let's talk with him and let's like learn a little bit. And we started talking about product market fit here, product market fit there. We need to get there. And he really said, like, I don't really believe in this idea of you know, product market fit. And we were so shocked. It was like, hey, I thought that YC, the whole thing was about product market fit. And he said, I believe in you know, things working and companies surviving. And that's it. Like, <laughs> it's all about, you know, being default alive, not default dead, not necessarily product market fit. And that was like so interesting to me because I'm not going to say that I totally agree with that. I still like the idea of product market fit of really getting this pain that can you know, grow fast and make things work. But I think that the definition changes so much that it's hard to say, right? I think we have a strong product in a growing market, but especially in the early stages, I think I would be like wrong to say, hey, we have product market fit 100%. I think we are learning a lot in a space that's changing every month. And I think our product clearly you know, our users really love the product that we have built. Uh, if that's product market fit or no, we're going to learn in the next few months. But I think that's where we stand right now. Makes a whole lot of sense. As I mentioned there in the intro, you've raised almost $5 million to date. What have you learned about fundraising throughout this process and throughout this journey? Yeah, I mean, I learned, learned a lot about fundraising, especially through A Combinator and also through other founders. What I would say is like all about... I think there are three things that at least in this, you know, seed early stage that investors really care about, which is the team, the market, and, you know, the proof. So basically like you have a strong team that can execute. Is the market big enough so it makes sense to execute on this market? And what's the proof so far? What's the progress that you have made that shows that this team can perform in this market? And we focus our whole fundraising on showing these three things, on showing like, hey, there's a strong team out of Apple that have really dealt with this problem before several times. Uh, the market is huge and it's growing even more. And now, as you can see with the whole AI poem, it's like basically every company is becoming an AI company. So it's a huge market. And also focus on like, hey, in this very early stages, we're able to get, you know, these early customers, big brands and everything. So... I think it's a compelling story from the beginning. Let's imagine you were starting this again today from scratch. What would be the number one piece of advice that you'd give to yourself? I would say to like, just ship code and talk to users. Don't get distracted with anything else. Although we did like three months of I Combinator to tell us that, I would say like, it's too easy to get distracted. And especially because we started in 2021, when it was this crazy year of like venture and things happening here and there. It's easy to lose track of what really matters because like, do your users love your product? It's especially in the early stages, more than revenue, more than anything else. It's like, do people really love your product? And it took a while for us to figure out that it'd be like, hey, this is the only thing that matters now. Later, we can care about the other problems. And now we're super happy because, you know, we have a good group of people that really love what we're doing and we're so excited for the next, you know, thing of our journey. Let's talk about that next phase of the journey for our final question. So let's zoom out three to five years into the future. What is that big picture vision that you're building? Yeah. So like our vision is that any company using AI has confidence on like, what are the things that my model does well? What are the things that my model does not do well? And what are the remedies that I'm using to you know, fix that in particular? 
So I feel like a lot of the ML and AI nowadays, like people just put it out there in production and hope and pray that streams work out. And what you really want to change is like, hey, I'm putting this out in the world. I know it does really well on, you know, for women in this kind of household with this level of income and it does really poorly for men between 12 to 19 years old in this other sector of society. And I know the shortcomings and I have the guardrails in place to make sure it's not going to happen. So basically to become the guardrail of the AI revolution, ideally would people think about OpenAI and Cohere and all of these companies building these huge models and think like, okay, what's our open layer stack to be able to mitigate all the issues that are going to come naturally from deploying this? So basically like the way that people think about code and, and creating tests, unit tests or CI/CD pipelines, they're going to be thinking the same on AI, but using open layer. Amazing. I love the vision and I've really loved this conversation. We are up on time, so we'll have to wrap here. Before we do, if there's any founders that are listening in and they want to follow along with your journey, where should they go? Yeah, you should go to our LinkedIn, Open Layer, and also my personal page, Gabriel Biomi. I'm always mostly reposting Open Layer stuff. So yeah, uh, excited to connect with folks. Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Really appreciate it. And again, really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. All right, keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. 